On this episode of the MC Podcast, our nutrition research manager, Mark Kirk, talks nutrition and the R&D cycle at a recent non-GMO conference in New York. We really hope you enjoy this one and can take something away that helps you on your operation. Enjoy. So what I, what I really want to talk about right now is, is does non-GMO feed you know, does it affect quality? Does it affect the quality of the hybrid, the feeding quality of that? And so kind of to set that up, I just want to introduce myself a little bit. My name is Mark Kirk. I'm the Nutrition Research uh, Director at Master's Choice. And basically what that means is that I work in hybrid selection. So I work with the guys, I work with Kevin and the other guys who are selecting hybrids for agronomic reasons. And I, and I select them for the nutritional qualities. So what that, what I, what I, why I say that is because I see thousands of feed samples a year okay so I see thousands of feed samples a year some of those are are uh, non-gmo some of them are organic and some of them are are uh, are traded projects uh, I also work with um, private on-farm trials I work with university trials in doing all this, and I also build relationships with industry leaders as part of my job with Master's Choice to keep us ahead of everybody with, um, with basically breeding and developing corn hybrids for animal nutrition. So this is where I wanna start, and this kinda gives away the whole thing, all right? And so um, basically nutritional quality is about genetic potential, all right? And so grain quality usually comes from the male plant, all right, so, so if a male's gonna throw harder grain, uh, usually in the hybrid, it will do that. Plant structure and, and size comes from a combination of both male and female, and fiber quality a lot of times comes from the female plant, okay? And so matching up those kinds of things. So I want you to think about that as, as Kevin was talking to you about these inbreds and putting them together, that's what's determining nutritional value of the corn, okay? That and, and management and being able to manage those things properly, but building that genetic potential comes from matching up those, those parent plants that way. So let's look at a couple comparisons here. I'll tell you, this is not overly scientific. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna start out by saying this is scientific in any sense or matter. I told you I have, I have files of thousands of feed samples. So I'll tell you that this right up front, I'll be as transparent as possible. I went in and I grabbed a traded hybrid and I grabbed a feed sample for the, for the same hybrid that was non-GMO, okay? They, and I, I, they probably weren't grown in the same area, but I wanna show you genetic potential here as we're talking through this. So here were the two samples that I grabbed. Uh, you can't see the number, but I'll tell you, tell you this. This one is 6153. Okay, 111 day hybrid. This one right here is 6150. Same, same, same genetic background, except one of, except the inbreds on this one have a genetic modification in them. Okay, all right. So that that's the difference between those hybrids. Same, same parents, so to speak, except the, the one of one or two of these parents has a genetic modification to them for for uh, 3,000 GT would be your rootworm, your corn borer, and your, and your glyphosate tolerance, okay? So that, that's what that is. One of the parents was genetically modified for that, this parent wasn't. So let's just kinda walk through a few nutritional qualities here, looking at these one-to-one, -one, okay? If we look at crude protein, crude protein is statistically the same, okay? 
By the way, these were both harvested at 65% moisture, which is optimal moisture there for silage harvest. Um, and, and crude protein is, is the same here. All right. If we look at starch percentage, we do see a higher starch percentage for this um, uh, for the, for the non-GMO hybrid. But I'm going to tell you that's genetic potential. You know, 33% starch is still pretty good starch. This probably has to do with fertilization and and, and water and and nitrogen uptake. Okay. If we look at starch digestibility, almost identically the same on starch digestibility. Remember, this is non-GMO on the right. And, and a traded a 3000 GT on the left, all right? And so when we look at the feed samples, we're starting to see there's not a whole lot of distinguishing there. When we look at fiber digestibility as measured by total track, neutral detergent fiber digestibility there, statistically the same. We're, we're not changing, and, and remember that Kevin said that the trait protects, the trait is there to protect genetic potential, okay? It's not, it's not making these things any better or any worse. Okay? The trait in that, in that corn hybrid is not making it any better or any worse. So I have a lot of guys who would say this, who would say, well, I'm transitioning to non-GMO. Am I going to lose quality? All right. Am I, am I going to, am I going to lose quality? You, we were asking uh, earlier, you know, uh, all right, can we still make a hundred pounds of milk with a non-GMO diet? A absolutely. Good nutritionist balancing everything right. You can make a hundred, hundred plus pounds of, of milk on a non-GMO diet. Because when we look at corn specifically, we're, we're not changing the nutritional value of it. One of the interesting things, uh, that that Brian talked about today was he was talking a lot about the chemistry that we're putting on things. All right. He's talking about the chemistry that we're putting on. Well, that's a management issue. OK, so so changing, changing, putting a genetic modification in this plant isn't 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 affecting its genetic potential for nutritional quality. It could be some of the stuff that we're putting on it that's causing problems. Okay? But it's not that it's not that inserted trait. Okay? So that's one one of the things that we that I think where there's there, at times there's misinformation. Okay? We look at other fiber digestibility, NDFD30. We do see a, a good increase here in NDFD30, really good, but 55 NDF 55% NDFD is not bad either. Okay? We look at UNDF, some more fiber qualities, still really good genetic potential for both of those. All right. So we're, we, are, we, are, we are not going to lose any quality. GM corn does not make better quality. Genetically modified corn does not make any better quality than non-GMO. Okay. It does not make any better. That genetic potential comes from matching up those parents for, for, that, for those nutritional qualities. All right. When we look at milk per ton, milk per ton is, is, a, is a really good indicator here of a, of a lot of things all. 3,700 milk per ton versus 3,400 milk per ton. 3,400 milk per ton is nothing to sneeze at. That's good milk per ton. And, and remember, this is the genetically modified uh, hybrid here versus the non-GMO. Okay. So different places, different locations, but we see the same type of, of genetic potential between, uh, between these two. Now, this is probably a little bit hard to see and, and, and a little bit confusing, but I, I, I think this is, this is something we need to look at. Okay, So 
so this is this is um, several several. This is a summary of um, looks like 200 different feed samples. Okay, and and I have uh, non genetically modified and genetically modified broken out here, and then and then we're seeing. Um, where their levels are for, for cal calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, and sulfur, okay? And this is in the feed from a feed sample, okay? So this is fermented feed in the feed sample, all right? And, and I, this is what I want you to see. If I highlight, if I highlight this non-genetic, non, or a non-GMO one, look at, the, look at the spread, okay? you'll see that those are showing up all over those ranges, which by the way, the ranges there aren't really that much, okay? There, there's not a huge range difference in, in those, but, but you'll see that the non-GMO is hitting in all of those different ranges for, 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 the, for the, the amount of minerals that were, that were in that feed. All right. And so if we highlight, if we highlight the, the, the genetic modification, you'll see that there's still a good range. There's still a good range in all of those. So we're not seeing a dramatic difference here of the mineral that's in that feed. Okay. Now, some of that, I think, is probably going to be management. But, but we're, not, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing because we're looking at the genetic potential uh, of, those, of those plants. And I just, I just went into there and, and, and picked out 200. Those are 200 different samples there. By the way, you'll also, you'll also notice that, that there's still quite a bit of room. Okay, I didn't even highlight them all, all of the samples that I had. There was, over a, there was over 500 samples in there. But you'll see that they're, they're all ranging. I mean, it, it, there's a range in all of those things. So when, when, we, when we talk about this, when we think about this, we've got to be thinking as much about management as we are about somebody taking that DNA and putting something else in and out of there. Okay, in that one spot in that plant. <clears throat> But I, I, want, I want to encourage anybody who is going to, who, who, who is thinking about transitioning to non-GMO, what you're getting in genetics, man, that's, that, that's, that's what you need to be looking at, is the genetic potential. So, so if we're going to transition to, to non-GMO, one of the things that we've got to do is maximize feed efficiency and milk production. So Keystone Mill, I want to say thanks to you guys out there, Gabriel, for, for sending me some information here to, to look at this. I, wanted, I, I called around, and, um, and Keystone was, was ex, ex, actually excellent enough to send me some prices, just, just some differences, okay? So I want to look at this. Non-GMO corn... Okay, the difference between between these two is about forty dollars a ton. Okay, so so anybody who's going to be switching to non-GMO, you know, we're going to see an increase in some of the some of the feedstuffs. All right, it just it's just the way that it is. There's premiums out there for the growers. There's premium out there for the mills. Okay, <clears throat> we'll see this uh, uh, non-GMO expeller mill. There's an increase soybean mill. We see, we see an increase of the, of the non-GMO over the conventional. This is going to be across the board. This isn't just going to be Keystone Mill. And I pre, like I said, I appreciate their transparency in, in, in allowing me to share this today. Um, by the way, I also, Gabriel, I appreciated this. Meatwids, non-GMO or conventional are the same price. 
Why are, are, are non-GMO and conventional meat widths the, the same price? They're the same. Do you realize there are some mills who will come here and, and charge you more for, for wheat mids that are non-GMO? Okay. So, so, so guys, Keystone guys, man, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your honesty there, right? Because, because that's just the way they are. So here's kind of the take home for a second. Non-GMO, if we're looking at input costs, non-GMO diets can be more expensive, but they don't have to be. All right, even though maybe some of the input costs are a little bit more, right? And we're, we're going to be upfront and honest about that, but they don't have to be. Okay, not, not that the prices don't have to be more, but the diets don't have to be more. Because I think one of the things is for guys who are transitioning to non-GMO, they need to consider high forage diets. Okay, all right, high forage diet is where forage, including corn silage, now some guys get all bent out of shape about corn silage being considered a forage, but corn silage is a forage even though it has corn in it, right? Corn, forage needs to be greater than 60% than of the diet. The TMR needs to have an NDFD 30 of 60%. If we're going to feed, a, if we're going to be efficient, if we're going to make that 100 pounds of milk, if we're going, if we're going to drive that, okay, um, with, especially with high forage diets, we need an NDFD 30 of the total mixed ration that's over 60%. So that means if you're going to feed a lot of corn silage, you got to be, you got to be in the mid 50s. Okay, so you got to be in the mid 50s for your corn silage to be able to, 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 to push that production that you need to be able to, to lower that cost of that ration and still keep your feed efficiency and your production up. One of the benefits of a high forage diet is typically higher milk components. And, and one of the things that I hear in the industry is these guys who are transitioning to non-GMO milk and people who are buying non-GMO milk, they're paying for components. All right. And, and they're, they're paying pretty good premiums for components. All right. <clears throat> so also with the high forage diet, you're going to have less purchased grain. Now, now Keystone guys like, whoa, don't be saying that. Right. You know, but but really and truly that it, I said I, I didn't say no purchased grain. Right. You know, I, I just said less purchased grain there. So if you're going to do this, if you're going to do this, one of the things that you got to do is maximize forage quality. All right. Maximize forage quality. One of the, the first place you got to start with is the seed. All right, we're going to lower the cost of the ration. We may be paying more for, for uh, other concentrates, but one of the things that we all know sitting here is that non-GMO corn is cheaper than traded corn, right? Okay, so we can lower the cost of that ration by the seed that we buy, but we want to make sure that the seed that we buy we're going to go a high forage diet and the seed that we buy, we want to make sure that it's high quality, that it's bred and developed for good starch and fiber digestibility. All right. There's a lot of there's a lot of really, really cheap non-GMO corn on. Uh, I say a lot of there is some really, really cheap non-GMO corn on the market. Uh, let's see up here. There's tractor supply. Around us, there is um, Rule King. It's kind of like a tractor supply. I can go into Rule King and buy a bag of um, non-GMO corn for $85, right? I don't, and all it's going to tell me is what the relative maturity is. You know, and who knows what's been put in that bag, 
All right, if we're gonna maximize feed efficiency, if we're gonna maximize production on non-GMO diet, we gotta start with good quality seed bred and developed to make milk, okay? Don't, don't get suckered into something. The other thing that we're gonna have to look at is soil health. All right, now, I'm, I, I'm, most, I'm probably gonna start a fight here, but that's all right. I had lunch and I'm a big guy, right? Okay. <clears throat> I hear, I hear a lot of anecdotal things about people saying, well, I switched to non-GMO and everything on my farm got better. And I, and I scratched my head. And I'm saying, I'm saying, you put just a non-GMO seed in the ground this year other than last year and everything on your farm got better? Yeah, my pigs did better. My cows did better. My chickens did better. Shoot, my wife did better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, but I'm just saying, we, you hear these things like this, and, and you get down to it, and you go, wait a minute here. What other management things did you do better? You know, a lot of times that guy who is switching to non-GMO is doing it because he, he, he really sees that he wants better soil health. He sees that he's, he's, he's managing the farm a little closer. He's managing the crop a little closer. He's taking care of things a little bit better. So I, I, think, I, think that there's, I think that there is truth to that, but I think that there is more than just I put different seed in the ground this year and everything got better. I think he's managing things a whole lot closer. Usually what happens when a guy transitions or and, and, and wants to transition to non-GMO, he starts taking care of things a little bit better. It's not just about that seed. So if we're going to maximize forage quality, we've got to have good quality seed. We've got to have good soil health. We also got to have good plant health. Now, I think that if you're growing silage, you should have a fungicide program. Okay? I just do. All right. Now, I'm not telling you to go spray, if you got gossip wilt, to go spray it two and three times trying to kill the gossip wilt with fungicide. But what, is, what, does a good, what does a fungicide do? It protects the plant, does it not? Man, y'all are all looking at me like, you're so bad. Right? No, because what, do we want to, what are we going to do? We're, we want to we protect plant health. Now, there, there are other ways to protect plant health, but there are certain varieties that are more susceptible than others. Am I right, Rod? All right, and especially if you've got a variety that you know is susceptible to leaf disease, you, you, really, you, you really ought to have a fungicide. Keeping that plant healthy longer keeps the quality of that forage up. Okay? One of the ways to do that is to have a fungicide program. Would you, at least would you agree with that? One of the ways? Yeah, okay, okay, yes. I got Rod to agree with me on something today. I've been working hard, right? So, one, one of the ways to do that is to have a, is to have a fungicide program, okay? And, and, and keeping that. Now, I think if you work on this for a few years, you'll, you'll get a whole lot better of this and may not need that fungicide program. Would you agree with that, Rod? No, you're talking. There we go, right, right. But, may, but, but, but for a guy who's transitioning? Yeah, I agree. But, but for a guy who's transitioning and is just now starting to take care of that soil health and stuff, I, 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 would, I would say that this is probably one of the things that he needs to definitely look at. As, as long as he's got a bigger goal in mind. As long as he's got a bigger goal in mind, right. So, 
Some of the other things that we need to look at as we maximize forage, uh, forage quality to go to that more high forage diet to, to keep that, that production up on, the, on a non-GMO system <clears throat> is harvest timing. All right, so I'm, so I'm, I'm gonna ask this question. What is the optimum moisture for hot for silage harvest? It depends. It depends. All right, so can we get a range? 35% dry matter. 35% dry matter, so that'd be 65% moisture. And, I, and, and here's what, you're exactly right, and I'm going to say that's my lower end. I like corn silage harvested between 68 and 65% moisture. All right? I think you shoot for 65 to 68% moisture, all right? And guys need to be out checking that, okay? Man, how, how, how hard is it to go pull a, pull a stalk or two, chop it up real good, put it in a bag, and send it off to, to, to test the moisture to the lab? You get two, it cost you two days. Okay, guys need to be guys need to be checking that 68 to 65 percent moisture. You get over, you get you get more than 68 percent moisture. You start having trouble with 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 some kind of some funky kind of kind of um, fermentation because it's just too wet. You also get it. You also don't have as much starch there as, as you as you're gonna need. You know, you get you get below 65 percent moisture. You start getting dry. You have a hard time even starting fermentation. All right. Especially if you get below 62%, you have a hard time packing. It just doesn't, you don't get all the air squeezed out of it. You get, you get bad fermentation in storage. Okay, you may, have, you may have more starch there, below 65% moisture, but your starch digestibility, how, how usable that starch is for the cow begins to go down after that. So harvest timing is one thing that, we, that we've really got to look at there. Proper storage, man, we gotta, we gotta, um, we gotta, we gotta get a good inoculant. We gotta get, um, um, we gotta get our packing density. Um, you know, gosh, I, you know, you got to have a guy who's driving over that pile who's not going to stop so that he can keep that packed. You got to have you got to have that. You got to have your your silo where where it is. Um, you, how, how many guys are there? A lot of guys out here still using silos, or has most everybody gone to bags and bunkers? A lot of silos. You know how 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 well how how sealed how well are you taking care of those silos? There's a lot of air getting in there. You know. There's, I, I guarantee you on some of them there are. Okay? We got, we got to have proper storage there. All right. Man, I, I appreciate you guys coming out. I appreciate you guys taking your time uh, to come and, and to listen and to ask your questions. I hope that you, I hope that you leave um, with, more, with more answers than you, than you came with um, and, and, um, and got some of those done. Don't ever hesitate to contact us. Um, uh, we've got cards. We, you can you can look us up. Most, most of you guys maybe even have some of our contacts. So um, appreciate that. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the MC Podcast. We really appreciate it. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash masterschoice and subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.